Today I want to talk to you about sharing your testimonies when you're on the hill, but especially when you're in the valley. And I might do a little bit of sharing, a little bit of my own journey as well. There's a scripture that's found in the book of Revelation that I want to show you. Chapter number 12. And by the way, Bible study begins again on Wednesday for those online, in person. We want to take it from hundreds to thousands of people studying their Bible. And so you are welcomed here in the sanctuary. I'd love you to be here. If you can't make it, join us online at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. We're moving to the book of Exodus. And I think you'll enjoy the study in the book of Exodus. Listen to this scripture in Revelation chapter 12. John said, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God is come. Power of his Christ. Listen to this. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down. We must never be this because that's not our job title. Do you see that? We must never be accusers of the brethren. In fact, we must never be accusers of anyone. That's not our function, calling, and responsibility. There's already someone that fills that role, and he does a marvelous job. I know he's always hiring, but this is not our job. And I'm very serious about that. He accuses them before God day, night. In other words, he is constantly trying to find fault, not to you, but about you to God. Think about that. I don't think you should bless Orem because you know what he did. I don't think he he merits that because you remember what he did. And that is consistently what God hears over and over and over again from the accuser of the brethren. If you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm speaking about the devil. That's what he does. But listen to this last verse, verse number 11. And they overcame him by two things. They overcame his accusations by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their own testimony. And of course, they loved not their lives unto death. They were willing to give their lives if it came down down to that. Can I read you a few things before we go into this message? I decided just to look in the chat on last week's message, and here's some of the things that people were saying in the chat that I thought was quite interesting. One person said, I needed this word. And the person put three exclamation marks behind that. Another person came along and said that, in their opinion, people within the church are in denial. The person said, I was 17 floors from jumping. Thank God for my pain. Another person said, not only will we survive, but we will thrive. One person continued by saying, this word, meaning the message, was difficult for me to hear, but I listened because I remembered in my pain all I wanted was empathy. Fourth person said, I hear, talking about me, I hear your compassion, I hear your sensitivity, and your humility as you have walked through your own pain 
And to me, that's refreshing. You would be surprised how many people are hurting in the body of Christ. Maybe you wouldn't be surprised. And I'm not just talking about, well, something happened between them and an, a fellow believer. Just life itself has caused great pain to God's people. And if you're not careful, because the, the tendency is to say to God, why? Why all this pain? Now that I've given my life over to you. And at times, it's more painful serving God than not serving God. That's the challenge that we face. I didn't have all these challenges when I was reveling in my own ways. Doing my own thing. Now I come over here. And the scripture, if you're not careful, can be very difficult to hear. Because at times it seems like God isn't honoring his own word. Let God arise. Let his enemies be. Then why am I in this situation? God is a very present help. In the time of, why does the trouble persist? If he is a present help. Have you ever felt like God has given you more than you can bear? And then you pull back and say, I don't want to go against the scriptures. But it sure feels like he's given me more than I can bear. The life of the believer is not easy. When I looked up, because I had to look it up once again, refreshing my mind, I had to look up the word testimony in the ancient Greek. And the word in the ancient Greek means the evidence of someone who is a witness or evidence from someone who bears witness to something. That's a testimony. You're providing evidence of something that you have witnessed yourself. So the Bible doesn't have anything called secondhand testimony. Either you were there or you were not. Either you witnessed it or you didn't. Either you experienced it or you did not. But the word actually comes from the root word that means one who is a martyr. One who has given his or her life for the gospel. For the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you kind of see what it really means to have a testimony. I told you last week, I really wasn't trying to be facetious in any way. When I was coming up in the early experiences that I had in the church, I heard people give testimonies that were the reciting of songs. And I thought that's what you did. You got up and you quoted a song and you said, this speaks to me. Thus my testimony. Or someone would say, I thank and praise God that he's kept me this week. And there's truth to that. But what they really walked through, they kept that silent. And what I needed to hear wasn't the repetition of a song. I needed to hear what they went through that God kept them in and brought them out of. So that when I am in it, I can use the evidence of someone who has borne witness. Brothers and sisters, that's called the Bible. 
the Bible is actually a witness of what God has done in the lives of historic men and women. That's why they didn't hide the fact that David slept with Bathsheba and God kept him. If you think about it like this, when he slept with Bathsheba, the accuser of the brethren ran to God and the conversation began. That's the guy that you made king? He doesn't even deserve to sit on a stool. And that continued and continued. And the Bible writes that so that you can see the testimony of the righteous. Listen to this. The just man falls how many times? Seven times. But he rises again. I want to know what it is to fall once and what it is to get up again. And I want the details of falling lest I find myself in the same situation and decide I can't get up. So I'm going to show you what needs to happen when it comes to testimonies. There are two things in the text I want to talk about, both of them. I want to talk first about the blood because we overcome by the blood of Jesus. And then I want to talk about the word of our testimony. Let's talk about the blood just, just, just for one moment and you will see what, why this is important. In the word of God, the shedding of blood is designed for covering. Whenever blood is shed in a religious context, it means something needs to be covered. The proper term is atonement. When you make atonement for something or you atone, you cover something that needs to be covered. I would suggest to you that when we sin, we are naked and exposed and we need to be covered. And so throughout the Old Testament, until the coming of Jesus, there was constantly the killing of lambs and blood was being shed and atonement was being made for the sins of the people of Israel. And when the year got to a certain place, they had this great day called the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Today, I believe it's in October. You can go Jewish neighborhoods. That's a high and holy day. That's the day when the sins of the whole nation, they're covered by the blood. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, the high priest would take a lamb. He would kill the lamb, put on his ceremonial garments. He would carry the blood of that lamb after it was drained out through the courtyard, could not be touched by any of the people because he could not be defiled, walk through the holy place into the holy of holies with a rope on his foot, and then he would sprinkle the blood all over the holy of holies. Sprinkle the blood over the ark, splash the walls, and he was making atonement for the nation for one more year. In the Bible, when you read the idea of the blood, the blood is always for a covering. Immediately when Adam sins, when Eve sins, God kills some animal of some kind and that blood is for covering, takes the skins and he also covers them physically. The blood is for a covering. This is important. Watch this. this watch what the Bible teaches. The blood of Jesus, when it was shed, the blood of Jesus was shed so that every sin that we commit would be covered. Not just sins that we've committed in the past, but even sins in the future. The blood has this forecasting way of covering sins that we confess. Because the blood is what justifies us and saves us from every sin. Here, here's a quick truth. If you make a mistake 
as quickly as you can, and I'm going to say this, and it doesn't matter how often you make a mistake, as quickly as you can, get down before God and ask him to cover that sin in the name of Jesus. And watch this. I'm not teaching you now to be presumptuous, but you cannot exhaust the mercies of God. In your mind, you're going to think, I can't go to him again, this is twice. And what you're doing there is you're saying that the mercy of God is not infinite. But his mercies endure to all generations. In fact, his mercies are eternal. One of the ways that God teaches us how to be like him, because he never, watch, he never not, forgi he never not forgives what you confess. One of the ways he teaches us how to be like him, he says, if your brother sin against you 70 times, seven times in one day, forgive him. It's probably not going to happen, but what he's showing you in that context is, do not put any limitations on your ability to forgive. Thus you are becoming like me. The blood covers and saves us from our sins. And dare I say, it's my testimonial day, I thank God for the blood. Watch brothers and sisters. I thank God for the blood post my conversion. I hope you understood what I just said. I thank God certainly for the blood before I knew him. But even after I came to know him, I thank God for the availability of the blood of Jesus. Because I have certainly messed up a whole lot of times, even while walking with him. Even while being filled with the Holy Ghost, I have certainly messed up. And Paul says we are justified by the blood and we're saved from our sins. Thank him for the blood. Thank him for the blood. Thank you for the blood. It's the blood why I'm standing here speaking. Amen. Oh, brothers and sisters, you don't know like I know. It, it's, it's the blood why I'm able to come into the house of God and lift up my hands. It is, brothers and sisters. The blood to me is the hematological expression of God's mercies. That's what it is. It's watch. The blood is mercy poured out. Oh. There's an old song now. I don't, you don't mind me quoting this one. Mercy there was, 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 was free. Grace, grace was, yeah. Pardon there was multiplied to me at Calvary. Thank God for the blood. I want to make a confession. Thank God he didn't cut me off. Thank God. Oh my. Because heaven had every right to stop the process but for the blood I gotta talk to you about the blood I'm not there yet but I gotta talk to you about the blood it speaks better things watch this let's, let's go one step further Peter then writing to the church he says I want you to know that it wasn't silver and gold that redeemed us you can't buy salvation. You can't pay for it. You can't give enough offerings for it. We weren't redeemed by corruptible things, but by the precious blood of the Lamb. 
the blood redeems. In other words, the blood in God's measurement is sufficient payment for my ransom. So the blood is enough to buy me from whatever I had sold myself into. That's beautiful. The blood has purchased me and I belong to him. That's where you get the idea of being, watch, blood bought. The blood has purchased me, watch. So then you understand Paul's thinking now, because Paul and Peter are moving in the same spirit. Therefore, you are not your own, but you've been bought with a price. The price is the blood. That's it. God has paid the price. That's why when the Bible describes the blood, the Bible calls it precious blood. So the blood redeems us from every sin. It is God's answer to sin. Watch this, brothers and sisters. Sin is not greater than the blood. I I don't think you heard that. Your sin, my sin, is not greater than the blood. I need you to know that. It's more psychological. There is no sin that you and I can commit that the blood cannot counteract. Are you following what I'm saying? So as messed up as you are, come to him. As fallen and as depraved as you might be, come to him. Seeing then, watch, watch, watch the day of atonement being acted out. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in the time of need. I want to help somebody. I want to help somebody. In the Old Testament, when God built altars, he put horns on those altars. And he said the horn was for mercy. And he said if you are being chased by someone trying to kill you for something you did, all you had to do was make it to the altar and grab hold of the horns. And once your hands touch the horns, they'd have to leave you alone. I don't want anyone to feel like they can talk you out of God's mercies. They can shame you out of the power of the blood. They can gossip you out of God's grace. The blood redeems. Let's go one step further. I feel God. Watch. Not only does the blood save and redeem, trade the blood washes. The blood washes from every sin. This is what John says, that Jesus, who is the firstborn of all creation, he said, he has washed us by his blood. So the blood has rescued, and the blood has redeemed, and the blood has renewed the believer. That means anytime you mess up, you've got to pray this prayer, wash me in the blood. Just wash me. And you won't see anything literal happen, but your spirit will know that something's happened. Your soul will know that there's been a transaction. You'll feel the shame lifted. The guilt will flee away. The heaviness, all of a sudden, you'll feel, wait a minute, I've been washed by the blood. Wash me in the blood of the Lamb, and I shall be whiter than snow. The blood washes. Blood washes. In other words, you don't have to stay in the mess. 
You don't have to stay there. That's where the enemy wants you to stay. It's the, melt, the mess of guilt and shame. And it breeds depression, all those kind of things. Just ask him to wash you. Wash me, Lord. Wash away my sins. Wash away my sins. Step further. The blood makes sure, watch, that our sins are forgotten sins. Please hear this. It's people that hold your sins, not God. I'm going to give you the scriptures because I said this one, I'm not going to let you go there hopefully and read it. I'm going to show you what the Bible says. It's people that hold our sins against us. I don't know why when they themselves are dealing with their own sins. But when it comes to God, he does not hold our sins against us. In fact, here's what he does. Because he will be merciful mm, to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. God said, I will remember them. So, so be careful that you're rehashing what God has forgotten. This text in the book of Hebrews actually comes out of this text in the book of Mal Micah. Watch what God says. Who is a God like unto our God? He pardons iniquity. He passeth by transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in what? Mercy. Watch verse 19. He will turn again, have compassion upon us, subdue our iniquities, and he will cast our sins into the depths why do people go fishing for our sins? Do you see what I'm trying to say? When you understand this message of the gospel, people can't hold things. Thank you, sir. People can't hold things against you. What God has forgiven is forgotten. I just wish that the church would operate in the same way. That's, that's just my wish and my prayer. So here's what I found out about God. When God's blood is at work in our lives, the blood speaks and says, there is no condemnation in your life. Doesn't matter what you've done. Watch what God says. No condemnation. But God, I did no condemnation. But God, I'm no condemnation. That's what the blood speaks in my life. And what God has not condemned, how can I criticize? I find God to be more merciful than me. When the reality is the sinner should be merciful and the holy one should be the just one. God's blood speaks now. In the book of Hebrews, the writer does this thing that you might not believe. The writer says that when Abel was killed by Cain and his blood was leaking out of his body into the ground, the writer says that the blood that was shed there was talking to God. In other words, the blood has the ability to communicate to God. That's a, that's a mystical thing about the blood. And, and the writer says, watch, when Jesus shed his blood, it was also talking to God. And he does a comparison. He says, the blood of Jesus that's sprinkled, it speaks better things than the blood of Abel. In other words, in the Old Testament, when Abel's blood leaked out, it cried, justice for me. 
justice for me. And God came and began to talk to Cain and said, I'm here for justice. But when the blood of Jesus leaked out, it cried, mercy for them. Mercy for them. Mercy for them. The blood speaks better things. We are recipients of his mercies. In fact, every day we are recipients of the mercies of God. Walk carefully, brothers and sisters, because were it not for the mercy of God, you and I would not be here. So what I want you to know is be careful when you're judging other people's shortcomings. Because yours have been covered by the blood and by his mercies. Listen at this one, watch. The blood screams out now that there should be no shame in your life. No shame. The reason why the blood is doing this, the blood is setting you up to be able to share your testimony. You will not speak of what you are ashamed about. So the blood takes that away from you. It takes away the fact. In fact, God says, no, they they will no longer, my people will no longer be ashamed. This is why we revert to songs as our testimonies. Because if we really told what we have done and what we've come through and what we've experienced, it measures or it meets out a measure of shame. And God says, I'm going to take that away so that you can talk about that freely. And say, no, it was a terrible thing, but for the grace of God. It was a terrible period in my life, but for the grace of God. Because we are going to overcome, watch, We overcome the accuser by the blood and the word of our testimony. Watch, can I show you one more thing? If no one is talking, we are not overcoming. And that's the challenge we have because we have created these juvenile environments where people cannot talk about their challenges, their failures, their mess-ups their sins but the bible says watch in mature christian environments confess your faults in mature environments and watch watch the next motion confess your faults one to another pray and there you may find healing there's a lot of sick people because they can't talk you're not going to hear me Because they don't know what you're going to do with what they speak about. They don't know where you're going to take it and how you're going to use it against them. They don't know what expression you're going to put on your face when God puts them up here to talk to you if you know their garbage. But what you should actually do is when God puts them up here, you should celebrate the fact and say, look what the Lord I feel God in the room. Yes. God can use the worst of us. And that's what you want to see. This is why I am told, I I think some of it's an excuse, but I'm told that unbelievers sometimes do not want to come into the community of faith because of the lifestyle that they may have lived or be living. And there isn't a freedom to come and say, this is me. And somebody says, watch, that was me. (laughs) Let me repeat that again. They say, this is me. And somebody says, that was me. 
but the blood screams, no shame. Play something softly for me, Robert. Lift your hands, everyone. I want to just do something quickly. I want to ask God to take away every ounce of shame from our lives. It doesn't matter what we have done, God. Remove the stigma. Take away the shame. Take it away from our lives. Remove the guilt from our lives. So that we can go here, brothers and sisters. Thank you. We can go here. Testimonies are for sharing. Blood is for covering. And once you understand the blood, then your testimonies are for sharing. I want Rhema to grow up. I want all of us to grow up so that people can watch, release themselves of some of these things that they are carrying. I've discovered, and I wrote this, watch, I've discovered that one of the greatest sources, uh, Pat, of evangelism is your testimony. And one of the greatest sources of liberation for you is your testimony. The ability to share it and say, this is who I was. Watch, watch these points and you'll see. The reason why you've got to tell your testimony. Somebody is searching. Someone somewhere needs to hear it. They're searching. Jude said, on some have compassion. Tell them what you have walked through. So they will know that the blood can cover what they are in. I am a witness that the blood can keep you from suicide. Do you hear what I'm saying? You got to tell somebody that. Let somebody in the body. Don't look at me funny. People have killed themselves even in this ministry. Do you hear what I just said? have killed themselves even in this ministry with all the praise and worship because whatever it is that they were dealing with, they couldn't tell somebody, I'm about to kill myself. Think about what I'm trying to tell you. Share it. The shame is gone. The stigma is removed. If somebody wants to join the enemy and be an accuser, that's up to them. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell it. I'm Watch, I'm going to tell it on the mountaintop. I was a vile sinner. My mouth was filthy. I was promiscuous. But God, who is rich in mercy, I'm talking about the God whose mercies, they don't fail. I'm a product of God's mercies. To this day, I am who I am by the grace of God. I feel the Holy Ghost inside of my spirit. I feel like talking to you and tell you stop being so self-righteous. You didn't save yourself. Stop being so self-righteous. You can't even keep yourself. Stop being so self-righteous. You didn't feel yourself. It was God and God alone. Walk carefully in Zion. Over time, you can think that you belong here. I was talking to a lady just the other day. She told me, she said, I went to a ministry. She said, the reason why I didn't stay, I, I, she said, I was trying to get a seat at the ministry. And one of the ladies said to me, you better get up, that's my seat. 
Did you hear what I just said? I'm asking the question, what chair did you pay for? What seat did you buy in Zion? How much did you pay for that seat? The devil is a liar. Listen, if I've got to sit on the floor, I'll sit on the floor. I'm just glad to be in the presence of God. Of God. Someone is searching for our testimony. Watch this. It gets even worse. The reason why it's someone is sinking. Even as I'm talking, there's someone that's going below, that's going under, that needs to know, watch, that God can pull them up because he pulled you up. Before it got to this point, he brought me out of the miry clay, set my foot upon a rock, didn't have to do it, but he did. And if that were not enough, put a song of praise in my mouth. What a God. My God. I read somewhere in Ezekiel when God described, or Jeremiah, God described Israel. He said, I found you. You were bleeding. You were on the wayside. But I took you. I washed you. I poured in oil. I poured in wine. I dressed you. I brought you unto myself. Oh, the devil is a liar. Ain't nobody in this church cleaned me up but God. Ain't nobody found me but God. God did it. And some watch snatch from the burning. There are too many people, watch this. There are too many people in this world that are sinking for me to play judge. I'd rather play a different position. I'd rather play savior if I could and join God in the salvific process. One more, then we'll go. Do you believe that? Everyone everywhere is savable. Everyone no one is exempt from salvation. I know you got people you would like them not. Everyone. Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling. Present us faultless for the throne of his glory. Everyone. That's why I got to tell it. When I was dodging God. Avoiding God. Do you have five more minutes? I want to share something with you. I know we're over, but I just want to tell you something. Let me finish this and I'll tell you. Give you two tips for sharing your testimony. I, I want to share my testimony. I want to tell what God has done. The reason why you tell your story, it's a story about his grace. It isn't even so much about you. It's his grace through you. When Paul finishes writing to the Corinthians, that difficult church, he says to them, I, I am who I am by the grace of God. That's why I labor more than all the apostles, because I am here by the grace of God. Someone needs to hear about the grace of God. Someone needs to know that as often as you've slipped, there is enough grace to pull you back into Zion. Wouldn't you rather have the church be, because, because the Pharisees looked at Jesus and said, watch, watch, watch the mindset of the religious. Watch this. It's, it's perplexing. 
Why are you sitting with those people? And listen to the simplicity of Jesus. Of those who are sick, they're the ones that need a physician. Those who are not sick, they don't need me. It just makes sense that I sit with the sick because I am the good physician. Why would you ask me that question unless you're religious and think that hanging out with people who need to hear the grace of God is below you, below me. The last thing I'll tell you, then I'll share something with you is this. Tell the story of his goodness in your life. I could write a book on how good God's been to me. And I could write a a book on how bad I've been to God. And I've discovered that even when I'm faithless, God remains faithful. It's perplexing. It really is. I don't have this high view of hell like I used to before. Because whenever, watch this, brothers and sisters, whenever you come out of these judgmental streams, every, for the slightest thing, people are going to hell. Nail polish, hell. Why don't you just, okay, if it's that important, why don't we just figure out a way to take it off? Nail polish, hell, ear, hell. Everything, hell. Do you know why? Because that's where the judgmental stream points you. The more I understood the grace of God, I said, wait a minute, I'm not going to hell. And a whole lot of people are not either. The grace of God wins in the end. I think if you teach God the grace of God properly, it in and of itself will lead people to salvation. Do you know the grace of God teaches people how to deny worldly lusts and godliness, how to live soberly in this room? Because when you realize how good God has been, every time you're not good to him, you don't feel so good. I say to God, you've been better to me than I've been even to myself. In 1975, my parents had come ahead of us and they did this thing in the 70s because the Trudeau liberals had opened up, this is Pierre, Justin's father, had opened up the floodgates of immigration, primarily from the West Indies and the UK. A lot of Caribbean people started bringing their children who they had gone ahead. I was seven years old when I came to the country. I came from the rural parts of the island. I didn't come with the knowledge of the city, things like that. I was only seven years old. I came with the knowledge of, it was agrarian, taking out goats, riding donkeys, and walking barefoot, and watch using the bathroom in the fields for fear of using the bathroom in the laboratory. Because it, where I'm from, the cockroaches flew. They're about this big, and they You just look straight ahead like you don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, and so we, as a little boy, I was afraid to go there. Lizards ran up and down the wall. I didn't want to sit there. And then furthermore, in the middle of the night, I was not going there with a little cursing lamp to see what was in there. So they put something under the bed. They called it a chimney and my brother and I filled that thing up. <laughs> yeah. 
That's what we did. We filled it up and it emptied in the morning. It's called last one filling it up has to empty it. My mother brought us to the country, to this country. I had never gone to a service in my life for seven years. There was a church in our community, but I'd never gone. I heard, heard the bells ringing. We never went. The very first Sunday that we came, my mother dressed my brother and I, told us to stand at the door, and a bus would pick us up for church. Those days, buses came into the community, picked us up. Brother and I stood there. Summer, spring, winter, fall, we stood there. I went to a, I went to a service, a Sunday school, seven years old. My teacher was a lady named Pat. I went to a church. I didn't even know the name of the church until years later. Bethel, Bethlehem United Church of Jesus Christ. And I sat there in the Sunday school. I don't remember anything that was taught. The one thing that stuck out in my mind was at noon, there was going to be these wonderful little sandwiches, beautiful cup of juice. I went back on the bus. So for me, this is great. Please do not underestimate the power of God's word as seed. We did that for many years until my parents said, we're, we're moving on up now. We're going to Brampton. And in the 80s, much of the West Indian community went west, Mississauga, Brampton. That's which has now come back east. We're going Ajax, Pickering, etc. So they moved us to Brampton. We no longer went to that, that ministry. My mother said, you still have to go to service. They never went to service. My parents never went a single day. But they made sure we went. By that time, I was 12, 13, 14. Started to make my own decisions. And my decision was that I was going to pretend like I'm walking to the church. And when I hit those row of trees, I'm heading to the flea market. And my brother and I went every Sunday to the flea market. That was it. One day we decided that we were going to go to that church. The minute we walked in the doors, a gentleman ran up to me and said, do you play basketball? I said, yeah, well, we play. He said, we've got a basketball program here. We said, we accept Jesus. <laughs> Went to the basketball program. I didn't accept the Lord Jesus. They paused, pray every now, they pause, gather in a circle, talk about the Bible. I wasn't hearing anything. I was just there to play basketball. Never underestimate the power of seed. When I got older, I was able to talk to my parents and say, we're not going. My brother and I, we are not going. And we took up the nightclubs. I fell in love with music. I wasn't gay, but I was, really wasn't that much into women. I was into music. I bought music. I played music. I listened to music. I listened to every genre that you could imagine. I, I was just in love with music. I went across the border to buy music. I lied to immigration officers that I didn't have music in the trunk. I was a liar. When I was about 19 years old, I was working at a company. It was a computer company. Caucasian gentleman came to me and said, do you want to make some money? I said, you know me, you don't have to speak twice. Where, where do you need to go? He said, we can simply go across the border. Go to Detroit, Buffalo, we'll give you the address, you get some stuff. It's in plastic, tape it to your legs, tape it to your chest, put your clothes on, drive back over, give you another address in Canada, $5,000 one run. I said, I'm in. I never did what I said I was in. I never did it. 
And one day we went to Buffalo, we bought some records, we were coming back, and we hid the records in the trunk. And the immigration officer said, because God's hand, listen, God's hand has been on your life long before you knew him. Watch, you met him when you gave your life. He always knew you. This is what's so good about it. He knew you when you were the vilest. He knew me. We got to the border down there somewhere, Queens and whatever. And the immigration officer said to me, he said, do you have anything to declare? I said, no, sir, we don't. He said, drive over there. Do you know what I was concerned about? The records in the trunk. He said, pop the trunk. We drove over there. And to my left, a gentleman came out with a Doberman Pinscher dog. He said, open up all the doors of the car. And the dog went through the whole car. And the records that I thought they were after, they didn't say anything about that. Immediately, my mind went to, what if I had done what that guy had asked me to do? I'd be doing 20 to 30, not starting Rhema. But God had his hand on your life. You got to tell someone God had his hand on your life. There is nothing since we began the ministry that I have seen that said God cannot fix. I have on this side, I have made a plethora of mistakes and God has been just as good. In fact, better than all of my mistakes. You need to understand that God has been watching over you. Even when you weren't watching over yourself. Tell someone. Not too long ago, my last point to you. I got to a place in my life. It was the darkest and the lowest place of my life. I'd never been in a place like this before. I prayed and I believe that I, I, I'm, I'm okay praying. I was in my house. I prayed every day. I got up. I cried every day. I fasted. I fasted until I was 160 something and nothing changed. It got dark. Every day was really dark. And I said to God, there's no way that I want to live any longer. I told him that. He said, no, this, I'm not going to live any longer. And I went because the moment the enemy sees you in that position, it gets darker. And I said to myself, I know some people because I grew up with some pretty seedy characters. And I went to one place that I knew and I said, I need to call this person because I need a gun. I didn't know who I was. He said, I'll give you the number. Gave me the number. I sat there, looked at the number. I was going to make the call. Sisters and brothers, I'm not kidding you. If I had made that call that day, I know that I would have taken my life. As I was contemplating buying the gun or making the call rather to get the gun, the phone rang. A pastor called me. And he said to me, listen, how are you doing? He said, he said, how are you doing? I said to him, I'm in a bad place. 
said, it's a dark place. He said, I know. He said, I, I got a guy. He's a spirit-filled guy. He will sit with you, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And he never left one day. When I reached the other guy, he said, I'm joining you. He said, whatever these sessions are, I'm with you in these sessions. Brought another guy into the same session. He and I were dealing with the same thing. He was at the point of despair. And four men, three pastors and one non-pastor, if you would, we stayed together for 26 weeks. Listen, brothers and sisters, I went in this program. I pray for people all the time. I engage in deliverance. I went and I was delivered. I was delivered from stuff that I was carrying in my past that I wasn't even aware of. The moment he listened to me, he said, you are suffering from the rejection of fathers. I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that when my father kicked me out of the house for serving God, that was rejection. Oh my God. I didn't know that when my pastor said, we're crazy for your vision. And there's the door. That was rejection. I didn't know the scars of rejection. I thought it was okay that he didn't like the fact that I was starting the ministry. I said, that's him. That's his tradition. And he was able to look inside. He said, every time you were rejected, a scar, a scar. I didn't know that when my father-in-law didn't regard the vision that God gave me, that was a third time fathers seemed to be just rejecting me. Watch for doing what God called me to do. They didn't reject me when I was going to the parties. They didn't reject me when I was playing the music in the basement. They didn't reject me when my girlfriend was coming over. They rejected me when I decided to serve God. And I couldn't understand, why would you reject me? For wanting to go to the house of God and not go to the parties. Why would you reject me for wanting to start a vision and a ministry that reaches people beyond our denominational borders? He realized the pain of rejection. And then I realized, Robert, here's what I realized. I realized that when we started this ministry, there was a part of me that was doing it to prove something to those fathers who had rejected me then I realized that you can be doing God's will and it be skewed. There was a part of me that wanted to prove that I was right. I did hear from God, Bishop Jones. I did hear from God, Mr. Meekle. And it took that moment in my life to realize that I didn't have to prove anything to anyone. And listen, listen. I sat in a chair I began to shake. I began like I was throwing things up and it was that rejection coming out of me. Guess what? But it took that pain, that darkness, watch, to bring deliverance. That's what you've got to tell people that sometimes your darkest moments are preludes to your best deliverance. They are God. He's setting you up through that pain to take some stuff out of you that you would never take out by yourself. So now I can do ministry without worrying about 
who stays, who goes, who rejects. That's not what I'm doing ministry for anymore. I told someone, stand to your feet, everyone. My time is long past. I told someone the other day that my greatest desire, it may shock you. Sure, I want to fulfill the vision of this ministry. Sure, we want to build and buy and all that stuff. But you know what my greatest desire is? I just want to make it. That's it. I just want to be where God is when this is over. That's what I'm about. When I say to people that I'm not concerned about who did what, who did what, who did this, I'm, I'm not concerned. A gentleman that was close to me, very close to me, someone that I love dearly, he passed away just the other day. And people started saying, did you hear, did you hear? I said, that's not me. Even something I, I, I don't want to hear. I'm waiting for an official notification from the family. Because I, I don't want to, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about this person, that person. That's not my concern. When, I, when this is over, I just want to hear God say, you did well. Through all the pain you went through, you did well. I found out something about God. And I hold to this. When God looks at Oramiko, he does not look for perfection. You know how I know that? Because I'm far from perfect. But one thing I know, God knows, you can trust me with what you've called me to do. Wake me up, I'll do your will. Keep me up, I'll do your will. This is another reason why, again, brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter to me specifically, I'm not doing that in the ministry. I'll do it myself. Oh, I'm not going to show, I'll come myself. I'll wake up at four in the morning and I'll come and get it done myself because of God's grace in my life because of what he has forgiven some days I wish I, I wish I could jump into people and say come on is that all you're going to give to God is that all you're going to fold your hands in the middle of worship so I, I say watch me because my worship is not for show I worship because I know what God has brought me from I know listen listen I know what I've lost. I know the mistakes I've made. I know what I would do differently. Yes, I know all of that. But I'm a living witness of the goodness of God. And so my worship reflects that. I want you to share your testimonies. Share them with people that are closest to you. When God puts people into your life, share that testimony. When someone calls you and says, you know what, this is a really, share your testimony. And we will overcome by the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. Glory to God. Take your hands, everyone, and just lift them up to God. He's not finished with you yet. He is far from finished with us. There's still more in front of us. But he's changed how we do what we do. No longer I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died for us. As your hands are raised, I pray that you would be a recipient of so much grace. 
grace that is sufficient for you and strength that is made perfect when you're weak. I pray that your testimonies would be stories that you tell for your children's children. I rebuke the accuser of the brethren. And I close by telling you this. It's not a cliche. Because of his grace, no weapon that is formed against you shall ever prosper. Every tongue that rises against you, God has already condemned. This is our heritage and our righteousness is of the Lord. Would you put your hands together and give God the best praise you can? Come train. Is that the best praise you have? Is that the best praise you have for what he has done in your life? Is that the best praise you have? Hallelujah!